Hey, welcome to BIV Today. I'm Tyler Orton. Now, for many, I think quantum computing remains more of kind of an abstract endeavor. You know, maybe those tangible impacts, eh, just not quite there yet for maybe just the average Joe walking down the street. But advances in financial and medical applications, they've gotten a lot of the attention. But I, th I think a few folks out there are still waiting for kind of those real world applications to emerge in, you know, various industries, you know, stuff like design or manufacturing. I think our guest today can speak to that, and uh, I, I think the realm of quantum computing is just fascinating with all the applications there, and I think even stuff with just everyday devices that we might be using in the future. So I'd like to welcome Zach Hudson. He's an associate professor of chemistry over at the University of British Columbia. Zach, thanks for joining us on the show today. Glad to be with you. Okay, so... I want to talk about the kind of the real world applications of this, but before we dive into that, you know, how would you kind of explain the difference to listeners between say quantum computing and, you know, traditional computing, pretending of course, that um, our listeners just might be kindergarten students or something like that. Kindergarten students. Well, there's a challenge. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> compared to a, a conventional computer, quantum computing uses the principles of quantum mechanics to uh, store and process information. So what this means is that for a regular computer where a bit can be either on or off, set to a one or zero, um, a qubit or quantum bit can exist in what's called an entangled state, which means that its state is either on or off, can depend on the states of other qubits. Um, so this allows for certain types of very complicated calculations to be run uh, in theory, much, much faster than um, could traditionally be run on a conventional computer. And from a practical standpoint, there are certain calculations that may indeed be impossible um, on a conventional computer that a quantum computer might be able to solve. So this is really important for uh, things like design of drugs and materials to even things like cryptography and uh, breaking encryption. Well, then, you know, we kind of uh, touched on it at the start here, but, you know, your specialty is chemistry. Um, tell me a little bit about what your research focuses on and how it ties into quantum computing. So uh, our research group at UBC designs advanced materials for organic electronics. So these are the kinds of materials that you would find in, for example, a modern um, uh, cellular phone or a television. And designing those materials using a computer or with the aid of a computer can save a great deal of experimental time uh, as well as cost and uh, is a little bit more sustainable, of course, if you can use a computer rather than having to synthesize new materials all the time yourself. And so we use, um, I guess you could say, traditional computing to design materials at UBC. And very recently, we started collaborating with a, with a company in uh, Toronto, that's OTI Lumionics uh, Incorporated, that has developed quantum algorithms for materials design. And that's where uh, our research came in. Well, I'm curious, you know, uh, how do you guys kind of connect and what are maybe some of the potential real world applications? You know, you, you kind of touched on, you know, uh, screens and all that, but uh, what could we see manifesting from this in the years to come? So how did we connect is a good story. So the CEO of OTI Lumionics, uh, Michael Hollander, and I were actually collaborators in graduate school uh, more than 10 years ago. So he was a PhD student in materials engineering at the University of Toronto, and I was a PhD student in chemistry at Queen's, and our supervisors were collaborators and so put us in touch. And then uh, we had a great partnership in grad school. We published a number of really exciting papers uh, back then, and then we went our separate ways uh, himself to start his company and, and me to pursue a career as a professor. And then 10 years later, uh, OTI had developed these exciting computational algorithms, and they know 
what I do for a living, which is design uh, materials for electronics. And so they reached out, uh, we got back in touch. And uh, once again, I think did something pretty exciting. So, so to your second that, question, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. To your second question about uh, real world applications. I think people are most excited about quantum computing for designing molecules because uh, molecules are quantum systems. They're made up of quantum particles. And uh, these include designing new pharmaceuticals, for example, as well as advanced materials for electronics. Um, I think these are some real world applications that we're going to see coming out of quantum materials design uh, in the next five years. So when we're thinking about designing particles, does that have kind of a, a bit of a butterfly effect on, say, the manufacturing, you know, how these are kind of produced in real world sort of situations? Uh, do we have to kind of adapt or is it more about kind of the efficiencies that we're able to create by tapping into, you know, uh, quantum computing and the algorithms there? Yeah, great question. So typically when you want to design a new material, what you'll first do is simulate it on your computer. Um, this is because it is much cheaper to do that and usually much faster. And what, why you simulate it is to see if the molecule that you conceived of has the properties you want. So I'll give you a, a real world, world example. Um, in your cell phone, uh, it's got three different colors of pixels, red, green, and blue. And the human eye is very, very sensitive to even small differences in color. I mean, if you go to a, a paint store, for example, think of how many shades of green there are. Um, in that store. And so uh, those shades that you use for display have to be very, very precise shades of red, green, and blue. If they're, if they're incorrect by even a little bit, um, all the pictures on your phone are just going to look wrong to you. And so you need a high level of accuracy in simulating to know if your uh, material is going to do what you designed it to do. So the, the practical impact of um, quantum computing is, is going to be to accelerate manufacturing greatly. Because instead of having to, for example, uh, synthesize in the lab, you know, 100 different molecules and see which one happens to work for you, you can hopefully just simulate 100 in the computer and then synthesize one. And just uh, for your listeners, like synthesizing new molecules can take months. It, it can be a very expensive process and often uh, uses, you know, lots of chemicals that uh, can become waste and isn't always the friendliest process. But if you can simulate it using a computer and save yourself the time, um, this could really accelerate materials discovery in the industry. So what's kind of the next step for your research when it comes to commercialization? You know, you, you've partnered up with the, uh, the Toronto firm. Um, what's the next step, I guess? I think we're really excited about two research directions. So first, we're going to try to push the quantum algorithms uh, we've developed as, as hard as we can. So we're going to try simulating more and more complex materials and larger materials to really demonstrate the power of what OTI has produced. And then second, um, what's really exciting is that in the next few years, quantum hardware that's powerful enough to use these algorithms is expected to come online. So actually just before our, our recent work with OTI was published, uh, IBM put out an announcement that they'd uh, created the first quantum computer with 100 qubits. And this is a really important milestone. So something that really excites me is actually loading these algorithms onto the appropriate quantum hardware and uh, really seeing quantum computing take off. Well, what do you think about, you know, Vancouver is kind of a hub for this. We've got, uh, you know, a quantum software company, uh, One Qubit, I believe. Uh, we also have D-Wave, you know, which is more on the hardware side of things, you know. Uh, is this just inevitably going to become more ubiquitous when it comes to industry, when it comes to other applications such as life sciences too? 
Yeah, Vancouver is positioned really well for uh, the expected rapid growth in this field. So D-Wave, for example, partners with OTI Lumionics to test some of their algorithms, and they're internationally recognized as a leader in quantum hardware. And that's that's really exciting to have that kind of homegrown talent uh, here. And then, like you mentioned, One Qubit is also doing some really amazing stuff. So I think the growth of quantum computing is indeed inevitable, and that uh, we're going to see a lot of action in Vancouver specifically. Now, do you think it's inevitable that, you know, we might even have uh, kind of kind of consumer electronics that are be tapping into this? You know, uh, think about how fast your smartphone was, you know, uh, you know, 10 years ago versus how it is today. Or is it mostly going to be kind of on the industrial side of things where the investments are going to be going? The kind of the applications that uh, you are pursuing with uh, OTI, uh, for instance. Well, there's a there's a trillion dollar question if I ever heard one. So uh if you think back to the very first computers that were the size of a room and had people, you know, putting punch cards in to calculate simple multiplication, things like that, we could never imagine that uh, decades later we'd be holding something orders of magnitude more powerful in the palm of our hands, right? So right now, to me, the idea of a quantum computer that sits in the palm of your hand seems fantastical because the hardware is is very complex and has some really strict requirements. Um but, you know, never say never. I think, uh, I think that as time goes on and we get better and better at designing these things, it may become something uh, more consumer facing. I think the first impacts are going to be industrial, um, but, you know, who knows what the future holds. So when OTI approached you and said, look, I, I think there's, you know, a, a potential here. What was your initial reaction and, and how did you initially kind of get on board with them? Oh, I was very excited. So like I said, I have a longstanding uh, friendship with with Michael Hollander. I know that he's not only running an exciting business, but he's also interested in doing great science. And so this is a, an ideal partner for any university professor, uh, a company that's at the forefront of what they do that also you know, wants to do great science. So I, I was on board right away. And uh, their business dovetails really well with our research topic at uh, UBC. So as soon as they they had a need for our expertise, I was immediately on board. Were there challenges? You know, you've got the theoretical versus the practical. You guys had to kind of figure things out uh, as you move forward with this. I think the the most exciting challenge that was overcome um, during the course of the research was probably at OTI with just optimizing the code for their algorithm. So, um, at the start of our collaboration, uh, running the IQCC quantum method, which is what our research is based on. Um, took somewhere between five and 10 times longer than it takes now. And that's just because the the scientists and uh, software engineers there were able to optimize the code uh, better. And so that's a really practical outcome of the research. Like if you want to actually use this type of mathematics, um, how much time it takes is a key indicator of how useful it is. Um, so obviously the the math behind quantum algorithms is not for the faint of heart. It's, it's <laughs> pretty high level stuff. But uh, OTI has some really talented people that manage to really accelerate um, how it works. For you personally, uh, is it almost kind of a, a no going back sort of moment for you and your research? You realize kind of, hey, uh, this is practical now. It's uh, proven, you know, very effective. Um, I can't imagine doing it any other way. Or do you think that there's still room for traditional computing to play a part in uh, your research? Oh, there's still definitely room for traditional computing. Um, one of the reasons why that is, is that uh, simulating materials with traditional computing has a lot of functions that quantum computing um, still has yet to develop. So, for example, uh, simulating the properties of a material 
in a certain solvent is really important for some applications. Like for pharmaceuticals, you want to know what a material, how a material is going to behave when it's in water, because that's that's what the environment is going to be when it's in your body. Um, and so those methods are tried and tested in conventional computing, whereas they're still being actively developed for quantum computing. So I think that uh, for the moment, there's still a lot of utility in, in both approaches. And uh, time will tell if quantum computing eventually totally eclipses more conventional approaches. Well, and that said, I mean, do you have any advice for any researchers or any you know businesses that are kind of on the fence about you know jumping over and taking on this uh, quantum computing potential, uh, just based on your own experience? I think at the moment it's all about preparing. So we're still kind of waiting for sufficiently powerful hardware to arrive to tackle really. Uh, large problems, but that's anticipated to happen in, in the next few years. Uh, and similarly, algorithms to run on this hardware, like uh, the IQCC algorithm developed by OTI, um, are just sort of coming out now. So um, at the moment, the, the opportunity for industry for engage, to engage is, is just kind of emerging. And I would say for leading industries in, in the molecular and materials design space, um, my one word of advice would be uh, prepare. Well, excellent. You know, Zach, fascinating talking to you about this. I, I just, I know for a fact, uh, watching kind of this journey of quantum computing uh, develop here just over the last uh, decade that, that I've been following, it, it's been amazing just to see the leaps and bounds it's taking. We're getting closer and closer to just more of those ubiquitous commercial applications. And it, it's cool to see kind of research coming out of uh, British Columbia, just having such a big part uh, moving forward to kind of the everyday, you know, I, I guess like kind of electronics that uh, average people would be using. So I, I just want to thank you so much uh, once again for joining us on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And it's uh, great to be a part of such exciting research. Excellent. That is Zach Hudson. He's Associate Professor of Chemistry over at the University of British Columbia. That is it for the show today. We'll be back, though, in just a few days. In the meantime, go to BIV.com. We've got more stories, interviews, videos over there. I just want to thank everyone for listening. I'm Tyler Orton.